From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. From WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Undercurrent Season 10, Episode 7. I'll be your host, Cole Tunningly. This one is all about real life. Or is it? Ooh. Sometimes the lines between fiction and nonfiction, between art and life, become blurry. On today's show, we'll be talking to guests who blur those lines on purpose, either to make some grandiose artistic statement or just to have some fun, be ironic, make a few memes. Our first story is from reporter Sophie Sagan. She talked to Rob Razdowski, one of the co-directors and co-creators of Framing Device. That's an immersive theater experience that's taking over the Broad Art Museum this weekend. You can still see the show tonight, Sunday. It's a play that takes place both literally and plot-wise inside a museum. So people coming to watch will have a chance to actually walk amongst the characters. After that, a satirical story. It's about texting and driving. Now, nearly everyone will tell you that texting and driving is a bad idea. I talked to someone who says that, actually, it's a really good idea. These stories are coming up next on The Undercurrent Season 10, Episode 7, Real Life. difficult today to pick up a newspaper or a magazine or listen to the radio without hearing about the mold that grows on bread. One of the byproducts of this fungus is a, is a curing a migraine headache. Over the weekend, he began to think what possibly could have tripped him out? What could have done this to him? And he decided it could conceivably have been something. There's only one escape from this discomfort. Hello, this is Real Life, Season 10, Episode 7 of The Undercurrent. Coming up right now is Sophie Sagan's story, an interview with Rob Rosnowski, one of the co-creators and co-directors of Framing Device. It's a play that takes audience participation to an extreme. Spectators will be able to actually interact with members of the cast in what will be a very heavily improvised show. Sophie talked to Rob about the intersections of art and real life. Here it is. I think, to me, this kind of acting requires such bravery, right? Because there's no sort of hiding behind anything. And let's say you're doing a play, you have times where you can um, leave the stage and come back to yourself. This is a kind of theater that forces you to be in that role as that person for the entire time. So it's a little, it's a lot more exhausting. That is Professor Rob Rosnowski talking about a new immersive theater piece he helped create called Framing Device. Here at MSU, he's also the head of acting and directing, and a professor in the Department of Theater. And how long have you been doing that? Fifteen years. Wow. I know. Before he came to MSU, Professor Wisnowski worked all over the country, from New York City to Los Angeles. 
His love of acting and directing stems back to his youth. And it's funny because I'm such an introverted person that um, you would think that wouldn't be a, a kind of a calling for people like that. But it really is a, actually a safer place because you get to kind of have scripted community and you can uh, – there's rules about engagement and all that sort of stuff. So it really is um, more friendly than you would think to an introvert. When I think of traditional theater, I think of some of those things that he mentions, scripts and rules of engagement. I also think of a stage, a theater, and those iconic red velvet seats. But Professor Rosnowski's newest project deviates from that traditional form, especially the part about the red velvet seats. This is a new kind of performance called immersive theater. So immersive theater is literally where the audience is immersed in the project. So normally you have the safety of the proscenium or the safety of the seats for an audience member. And in this sort of production, the, and all that safety is taken away and you are acting and, and interacting with actors you know, as like inches away from you, right? You're, you are uh, immersed in the experience so that you kind of uh, feel what the uh, actors are trying to make you feel. Last year, MSU's Department of Theater put on another immersive performance called Thus With a Kiss I Die. In that performance, the theater department transformed 16 rooms in Fairchild Theater into individual performance spaces. Audience members were allowed to choose their own path through the theater and interact with 50 different cast members. Every four minutes, the cast would change positions, ensuring that no two people had the same experience. I was really amazed by how the students from IH who are forced to come to our production sometimes, how they responded to that show, meaning that they were much more excited because it was almost like virtual reality, right? They were they were walking around, they were they were interacting with the show and to watch them geek out after the show and talk about it was really an exciting sort of um, experience. And so I knew that I think it, I think it's really a young person's, younger person's art form in terms of the way in pe- which people respond to it. So as soon as I was done with that, um, the actors in the department were like really jazzed about doing another production because it's so fun. It's a whole different kind of acting. So Rob thought, we got to do this again. And so quickly he started working on putting together a new production, Framing Device. Along with co-creators Sarah Hendrickson, Grant Cleveland and Chad Swan Badrow, he wrote a piece that takes place in a museum and, appropriately, analyzes the meaning of art. Uh, I think it's about um, the role that art plays in our lives daily, right? And so the idea of, of um, if, is, is anyone, because they're not celebrated or famous, um, is, is what they do art, right? It's what their work that they do art. And the show is, a, the actors play a lot of struggling artists, right? A lot of people that want recognition, and the guy that has the recognition in the show doesn't really deserve it. So it, um, it's really an interesting conundrum about, like, how we lionize artists that we necessarily shouldn't. So far, the overall reception has been really positive. But that's not to say that there is no limit to this type of performance. There's feedback I've been getting from emails and from friends and from that sort of thing that have been really nice and positive. And and it's not for everybody. Immersive theater is not for everybody because you're walking around a lot. You are forced to react and be part of it, where some people just want to sit in an audience and just sit back and relax and watch something. And so it, it, it really is it's demanding for the actor but also the audience. That being said, if you're looking for a little adventure in your trip to the theater, or in this case, the Broad Art Museum on Grand River, Here's an idea of what you could be stepping into. So um, so uh, they give audience members various wristbands that kind of denote whether you're a critic or whether you're a, a rich donor or whether you're an art newbie or whether you're an artist, a fellow artist. And so the way in which the audience, uh, the actors see those wristbands is how they interact with you. 
right? So you don't know what you are. You have no idea what those colors mean. But the way in which the actors interact with you, like, it kind of uh, forces you into a whole new way of where you have to play a character in a way, right? Because people are like, oh, hi, generous donor. We, we sure could use some more money here, blah, blah, blah. And so now all of a sudden you've been cast in this role. So you come into the, the um, museum. We start the show with an opening of this exhibit, and we talk about, hey, the, here's this new pretentious artist on the scene. Walk around, look at his art for a little bit, and then we'll come back for his big performance art. So that happens. He does a pretentious performance art piece. The second part of the show is really about um, how then did you feel about respond to that performance art piece. The last part of the show, there are four selected audience members who, before the show, go to the MSU um, Broad Art Lab on Grand River, and they create art. And throughout the show, um, we've been taking audience members over there to review and tweet their reviews about the art pieces. And then at the end of the show, we bring those artists up and we read the reviews that other, other members have said about their artwork. Yes. Surprised? Yeah, so was I. Immersive theater takes a lot of readjustment. But one thing that remains constant with this art form, as with all art forms, is that it's meant to affect you and connect you to a bigger idea. artist every day, right? Making theater and, and teaching future artists and people right now kind of trying to, to get these students to develop their own aesthetic and their own, own personal point of view of art is um, a really important element of my life. And I think for a lot of people that spend a life maybe working a nine to five job, but, but needing to feed that artistic sensibility, whether through community theater, whether through, you know, the, their scrapbooking, whatever you imagine, right? There, there's an artistic outlet that a lot of people really, really, really need. Rob may not let you write the scripts, but as an audience member, you're paying not only for a show, but to indulge in your own need for a creative outlet by becoming an integral part of the art yourself. To me, the, the best part about immersive theater is the talk afterwards, right? Because you are, you're there with your friends. And you're like, did, you, did, did this happen to you? Did he say that to you? Did, did they? And so you put the show back together again uh, because it's like a puzzle, right? Like you, you sit there and you go, oh, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know what that person's deal was, but you just told me that they confessed this to you. So, yeah, it's really about putting the experience together afterwards. For Impact Student News, I'm Sophie Sagan. That was reporter Sophie Sagan talking to Rob Rosnowski, one of the co-creators and co-directors of Framing Device, which is playing at the Broad Art Museum this weekend. You can still see it. It's playing tonight. If you'd like more information about that, you can go to peppermintcreek.org. Again, if you'd like more information about the show or just Peppermint Creek Theater Company in general, you can go to peppermintcreek.org to find out what you need. Now we're going to go to Connor Meston with a local weekly impact update. And now it's time for an update from Impact News. Following the 2018 midterm elections this month, Political commentators are paying close attention to Gretchen Whitmer's election as governor and how it will affect long-standing issues in the state. With Democrats Kelly Tabay and Brianna Scott elected to the MSU Board of Trustees, interim President Engler has faced increasing pressure to account for his recent actions. Engler has received heavy criticism for scrapping a final draft of summer 2018's issue of The Spartan, the MSU alumni magazine. 
The scrapped draft highlighted personal accounts of assault concerning the Nassar scandal. Whitmer's election as governor has been critical for Democratic MSU trustees Brian Mosalam and Diane Byram, who were pressured by state-level Republicans who threatened to reduce funding for MSU if Engler was fired. As the MSU presidential search continues, MSU has announced a search firm and a campus committee to select a new lead administrator for MSU's Office of Civil Rights and Title IX Education and Compliance. Mary Jo Bales, a former executive director at Consumers Energy, has also been announced this week as MSU's new vice president and strategic director of communications. With your local news, I'm Connor Meston. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history. Please deposit another 25 cents to go to a parallel world. Oh, banged my head on something hard. Looks like we're stuck in the same old boring world. In the news today, President Paris Hilton announced that cellulite is now illegal. You're listening to The Undercurrent, and I'm your host, Cole Tunningly. As a news and storytelling podcast, The Undercurrent tries to tell you the truth. We try to be honest, we do diligent research, and we do our best to present the facts. But sometimes we lie to you. Sometimes we just make stuff up. We've done it on our fake news episode from a few years back. We put fictional stories in some of our Halloween episodes. And for the sake of my job and, you know ethics in journalism or whatever, I should probably warn you that this next story is following in that tradition. Here it is. My name is Steve Charters, and uh, you found a, a cause that I feel very strongly about. Um, I've actually started a, a group for this cause, and it's called Texting and Driving is F***ing Sweet. So do you call this a movement? Are you a group of hobbyists? Are you just a Facebook page? Um, it's definitely growing into a movement. It, it did start with hobbyists, though. Um, it is a common interest that uh, so many American citizens have, uh, you know, texting and driving. Um, so it was us having it in common, but... More and more states and localities are making it illegal and infringing upon our rights to text and drive. Um, So it is a movement to try to get some of those laws changed. You do some activism. How does that, how how are you um, looking to make change? Are you going to push for different legislation? Are you shutting down Congress people's offices and flooding their phone phone lines? um, so for the start right now, we are working with a few election lawyers to work on getting a ballot initiative in the state of Michigan for 2020 um, to protect our rights to text and use a phone while operating a motor vehicle. Uh, something a lot of people don't know is that they've done these studies on Reese's monkeys, um, and they have multitasking neurons. Like a monkey is able and capable of doing multiple things at once. So it's kind of insane that they think that uh, we humans 
are dumber than monkeys and not able to multitask safely. Of course, of course. Yes. And I sort of, when I look at your group, I, I sense almost a sort of elitism, a sense of competition. Is there any of that? Are, are you trying to be the best texter and driver you can be? Is there an aspect of sport to it? Um, as with uh, any shared interest, there's going to be a little bit of competition from time to time. Um, like if you enjoy skiing, like that's all fine and well, and you can enjoy skiing, but sometimes you want to you wanna get the fastest time through the slalom, you know? Uh, it's the same thing with texting and driving. Sometimes you want to send the, uh, the most texts on your uh, daily commute, for example. Right. And uh, are there any metrics for how to measure how good you are at texting and driving? Text per uh, minute, text no, per drive? Yeah, texting and driving um, as, a, as a competitive sport, or an e-sport, if you will, is still in its, uh, in its infancy. Um, so we don't have a lot of metrics. It's very much just friendly competition kind of showing off, like, our talents and what we've done. Um, but there is no, like, this is the best texter award yet. Uh, but that's not to say there, there can't be in the future. Um, I think we are, we're really narrowing in on the competition aspect, which is fun to have friendly competition. But this is really about our, our First Amendment rights. Um, the government shouldn't be able to legally prevent us from our right to free speech just because we are driving a motor vehicle. So do you believe the Founding Fathers had texting and driving in mind when they were drafting the Constitution? I mean, obviously not, but I think that's kind of, uh, you know, an incredulous question to be asking that. Um, They did not know about cars, obviously. But I think if we brought the Founding Fathers to modern times and we said, hey, this large percentage of the time that people are in their motor vehicles because our country's infrastructure forces you to commute regularly... We want people to not have their freedom of speech while they're in that vehicle. Uh, that, that seems absurd to me. Uh, of course they would want you to have that freedom of speech. Of course. Can we talk about America's driving heroes, you know, the first responders, uh, the truckers? Texting and driving is really important to them. Are they on your side? Are you looking to recruit them? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't speak for, for every truck driver, obviously. That's a... Uh, a huge and very demographic, but also you're driving for 11 hours. Like, what else are you going to do? Watch the boring road? No, there's not <laughs> much to do. You gotta, you gotta text sometimes. Now, in your crusade to make texting and driving legal, are you also working to make the road itself perhaps more interesting? Um, that is a, an interesting point. Um, but with, I believe a lot of automation is going to fix that for us. Um, because as we get more and more self-driving cars, then we'll be able to just, you know, play a video game or, or watch a movie or um, FaceTime with your friends or whatever you want while you're driving. Um, so I do think uh, we're in the right direction. The roads themselves, though, like maybe some some obstacles like a crisscross crash, if you might recall from the, uh, the Hot Wheels toys, something like that may make the roads more interesting. Um, so we need to spend less time texting then. Uh, so if they're trying to prevent texting, they should make the roads more interesting. But I think preventing texting is a mistake. Now, in municipalities that have banned texting and driving, do you have the statistics on how many people have died from boredom on the road? Um, I, I do not have those, those exact specifics, um, but I think it's safe to assume countless thousands. Uh, that just, that's kind of common sense to me.
Now, are there any famous celebrities, maybe or politicians, who are backing this cause? It seems like it's pretty grassroots right now. Um, well, Lindsay Lohan, obviously a big proponent of distracted driving in general. Um, so she is, she's definitely on our side. Uh, we also have uh, Matthew Broderick. He was in a pretty uh, pretty popular car accident in the 80s caused by distracted driving. Uh, this was before texting, obviously. Um, but the problem was he was distracted by boredom in England and then caused a fatal car accident, which is really too bad. Um, because he did not have texting to keep his mind off the boredom. Oh, I see. I see. Yes. So can you tell me, um, what I'm hearing from you is a lot of passion, a lot of commitment to this issue, and I feel like that has to come from a personal area. So what kind of relationships have you formed while texting and driving? What does it mean to you? Uh, I mean, with this, this busy lifestyle we're all forced into these days, having to work 60, 70-hour weeks to make ends meet. Um, my time, my social time with my friends, with my romantic partners, with my family, with everybody, is uh, it's mostly while I'm driving. I text them and I keep in touch. Uh, so it's very important. Uh, humans are social animals, and we can't, um, we can't let that go just because we're busy. So while we're driving, we should also be texting and being social. As the sort of leader, the founder of this group, what have you heard from other people about visibility for this cause? Have people come to you saying, yes, finally? Yes, um, the group, it's, uh, it's growing rather rapidly, and I'm getting a lot of people that I have like no mutual connections with joining the group. Um, so they are finding on their own. They've been waiting for a cause like this, something, uh, something to rally behind. So it is uh, very important for us here. And what kind of activity do you see within the group page, these people interacting with each other? Um, right now, it's still just kind of like a lot of uh, common interests, discussing uh, texting and driving, finding new friends to uh, text while you drive. There's been a good amount of that. Uh, some people like to take uh, pictures and post them while driving, which is uh, very closely related to texting and driving, also very important. Um, so there's just a lot of good social interaction there. Yeah, it sounds like a very pleasant community to be a part of. Obviously, the mainstream media is um, pushing an anti-texting and driving narrative. What kind of pushback do you see personally as someone who's speaking out against this, against the majority opinion? Well, the thing is, um, there's been a few people who have come with the, the normal talking points, you know, Distracted driving is dangerous. Texting and driving is six times more dangerous than drunk driving. Which, like, I get that, but, like, is drunk driving really even that dangerous? I, I don't think so. Um, so, really, the, the big thing is once we explain to people this is about your, your right to freedom of speech, um, they, they quickly come on board. So I think it's just about getting the information out there. It's not really a controversial idea once you know the reasoning behind it. Now, is texting and driving a partisan issue? Um, I don't believe it is a partisan issue. We have a, a lot of wide bipartisan support um, on this because really it's about your right to text and drive and say the things you want. Um, so people who disagree with me on most everything want the ability to text about it while they drive. Um, so, so it is very nice, the, uh, the huge support from uh, both sides of the aisle and the independents. Are you driving right now? Uh, yes, I am driving right now. Um, a 
again, I live a very busy life, so I need to use my phone while I'm driving. Uh, that's when I can make time for important things. Oh, well, thank you for taking some time out to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people I could be texting. I am texting a few people while I'm talking to you. Uh, again, like if a rhesus monkey can do two things at once, I can text and talk and drive, obviously. I'm way smarter than a monkey. That you are. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Cole. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, for me to talk about my cause. Welcome back to The Undercurrent. I'm Cole Tunningly, and that's it for this week's show. It's been fun. Now in 2018, I feel like we often approach a sort of hyper-reality where things are just happening all the time, things are happening so fast that it can all start to seem fake. Impending climate disaster, a tragic and endless news cycle, feelings of hopelessness, these things can combine in a way that makes reality seem flimsy or just weird. That's why I think it's important to ground yourself once in a while. Sketch a doodle. Do a journal entry. Meditate. Give in. Submit. Fall asleep. Continue. Keep going. That's it. You got it. I'd like to give a special thank you to our general manager, Jeremy Whiting, our station manager, Olivia Mitchell, and our program director, Simon Ferenzi. Thank you also to Rob Rosnowski and Steve Charters for showing up on this episode, and thanks to Sophie for the work you put into it. And thank you, the listener, for listening. I hope you come back next week. I'll be here, same time, same place. See ya.